This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning, everybody. How you doing out there? Daniel, Andrew, thank you very much for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, you find us in the middle of our summer teaching series. We've got a short passage of scripture this morning from Paul's letter to the, the church in Philippi. I think if we take this passage of scripture together, it's encouragement and a promise that God wants to work in us. God wants to work through us. And by doing so, God wants to help us have a lasting impact on our community, on this world immediately around us. Paul's letter to this church in Philippi from 2,000 years ago, it echoes in our world even today. I'm excited to share this with you this morning. Uh, Before we dive into that detail, I want to step back and just make sure that we are all on the same page. First, my name is Brian. I'm a volunteer here at Journey Church. As you can probably tell, I'm already amped up to be up here. A couple of things I want to remind us of. First of all, in case you're curious... Uh, Joe and Karen are taking a well-deserved vacation weekend this this weekend, so that's why they are not here, but I just wanted to allay any uh, questions you might have about that. Uh, I mentioned that we're in the midst of a summer reading plan. I want to talk about that a little bit. It's something we usually do in the summers around here at Journey. Oftentimes, we teach in four- or five-week series and kind of bounce from topic to topic, but in the summers, we like to slow down a little bit and kind of draw things out a little bit. And one of the reasons we like to do that is it allows us to focus on context. Sometimes you look at broad swaths of history, like the broad swath of the Old Testament or New Testament or Paul's journeys. Sometimes we dive deep into the the character of of an individual or a story or a family. But no matter what we do, we like the fact that we can take more time and then we can focus on that that linear narrative and on the story builds on each other week after week after week. And so we take this summer to focus on that context. That's what we're doing this summer. We're taking this specific book in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and just reading through that together and taking it in totality as Paul wrote it to that original audience. Another reason we like doing these summer reading series or summer teaching series is it's an opportunity for us to invite all of us to read along. We tie our summer teaching to a summer reading plan we have, we ho- I hope and encourage you to follow along with us. Uh, this summer we're doing that um, in, the, in the midst of the YouVersion Bible app. We provided links to you in the program and in our emails. Uh, we would love for you to download that and follow along. I know I have been, been doing so. There's an opportunity for you to comment as you read. That's been very excited and encouraging. When I get those notifications that somebody's commented on the reading for the day. Um, I love the fact that that just reminds me that we are all in this together, reading through this scripture uh, this summer. So I hope that if you haven't already, that you would maybe take this morning as impetus to just jump in and follow along. And so we're digging into this book we just call Philippians. But Philippians, it's Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Now this church in Philippi is a church that Paul helped found. You can sense his care and passion for these people in his words in this letter to them. And it's good for us to remember, remind ourselves that at the time of this writing, Paul is in prison in Rome. His future is uncertain, and you can feel that too in his writing as well. Now the people from Philippi have sent a messenger to him. They've sent greetings and an update on their situation. They've sent money to help provide for him while he's in prison. And so now Paul is writing back 
He's writing back to thank them and to encourage them, to update them on his status, but also to teach them. Paul knows these people. He knows the city. He knows their situation. He knows the update that he's just heard from Epaphroditus, the messenger. And at his part, Paul is a teacher. He's writing back to teach. We spent several weeks on the verses that lead us up here until where we are today. And I'm not going to do it justice, but I want to hit just an outline of what Paul has written to date that brings us here. Paul opens his letter with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for the church in Philippi and for those people, their shared relationship, their shared history, their shared faith, and their shared experience. Paul updates them on his circumstances. But he doesn't doesn't just tell them about his time in prison. Paul casts these stories in a spiritual light. Paul encourages the Philippians that God is working through those circumstances. Not just in spite of them, but through those circumstances, God is doing things that Paul never would have imagined himself. And Paul calls them then to faithful living. This is the section that Joe led us through last weekend, really. Paul points to the person of Jesus, to his divinity, to his humility, and says, you should live your lives then through that lens. In response to that, that is how you should live and respond to one another. And so that brings us to this week's passage. Uh, We're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It's seven short verses. This is one of these passages where I feel sometimes like Paul tries to get the biggest ideas he can think of and squeeze them into the fewest words possible. Every single one of these words and phrases is packed with meaning and impact. It's dense, and they're all interrelated. It makes it very challenging if you're like me and kind of lazy and like to read something and just pick off a phrase and say, hey, I'll think about this phrase. Because we have to take this whole passage together and try to understand where Paul is leading his thinking and the thinking of the Philippians. So what I want to do is just read this. Like I say, seven short verses. Just read this through with me. Um, I expect we'll have the verses up here on the screen behind me. If not, you could find them in your Bible and a Bible app. Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. Paul writes to the Philippians, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As I see it, we can break this passage down into three basic sections. And we'll, we'll dig into these here in layers here. But first, this phrase where he calls us to work out our salvation. We start with that phrase, but what he, follows is, what he follows it with is really the promise, and that is that God works in you. God works in us. The second section, is, I think, is just Paul giving us examples of what does it look like to work out our salvation? What does it look like to exercise active faith? 
The quick outline there is no grumbling or arguing. Become blameless. Then we will shine among the city. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Then the last section is Paul and the Philippians will rejoice together, embracing the joy and the rejoicing. So if you can focus just on those first couple sentences. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's three things I want to tease, I want to tease out of this. First of all, like I talked about in my introduction, we, we focus on context Paul starts out with this little word, this little hook of a word that says, therefore, it's a reminder that everything he's written to this point supports where he's taking this thought. When I was in high school, the pastor at my church said, whenever Paul says, therefore, find out what it's there for. Go look back and remind yourself what he has just written. What he had just written in the passage that we read together last week was that we should model our relationships with one another on, the perp- on, on Christ's and Jesus' humility. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, and then he, he marches into that, that, that poem that we shared last week, talking about Jesus' humility. All of this is built on this idea that we should have Christ's mindset in mind. And so with Christ's mindset in mind of how we relate to one another and whatnot, he tells us to, as we have obeyed, not only when Paul was here, but even now that Paul is gone, continue to work out your salvation. I want to I'm going to dive into that phrase a little bit, because this is something, I, I know this verse, and every time I read this, I have to stop myself and check my imagery. I could not help from reading, work out your salvation, and thinking about it like an algebra problem, like a solitary student sitting at a desk, teasely working out, trying to find some solution that might be cryptic or difficult or, or a struggle, and That is kind of what it means to work out a problem in one sense, but that doesn't match at all what Paul is teaching us to this point. It doesn't match his tone. It doesn't match his encouragement. It doesn't match what he's doing. I don't think he's talking to us about an algebra problem. And then because I am stubborn and thick-headed, the next thing I think about when I say, well, how else could Paul mean to work out our salvation? The thing that usually gets evoked in my mind and heart is almost like a chain gang mentality. Like I gotta work myself out of something. Like I have to work out of obligation or out of guilt or out of shame and that too that doesn't seem like what Paul is trying to lead the Philippians to after he celebrated this Thanksgiving and celebrated how God is working through his circumstances and told them to relate to one another through the lens of the person of Jesus and in Christ's mindset and then I have to finally get to this third hurdle where I say oh working out it's like going to the gym Like, we use the phrase work out in that sense, too. Like, you go to the gym to work something out, to exercise it, to push yourself, to see what it's capable of. You can use it maybe in not not gym language. Maybe you own a little sports car. I'm going to take my sports car to the track and give it a workout for the day. There's something visceral and tangible about working something out, putting it into practice and putting it into action. And now that, to me, sounds like Paul's encouragement and coaching as he's telling the Philippians to go work out their salvation. But then right on the heels of that, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I stumble over this one because fear and trembling to me sounds like a horror movie. 
And I really don't think Paul is trying to evoke images of terror and horror in the Philippians. And so I have to pause there and remind myself, I think that there are other aspects that can draw us into fear and trembling. I know for me, I have to stop and remind myself, I think about experiences in nature. I imagine you have something in your history, whether it's the horizon of the ocean. Um, I've memories of me being in a boat, little boat in the middle of the ocean. You can't see the land, right? Staring over deep valleys, staring over deep canyons, standing on top of mountains. There are moments in nature where we can find ourselves with that sense of fear and trembling. And it's not fear and trembling like terror. It's fear and trembling like awe, right? We use the word awesome a lot. It's almost ironic, but to think about something that is awesome, I think it it draws us into the sacred, right? There's something about fear and trembling that draws us into sacred. I also think about sacred moments. Um, I, I don't know if I can find one that's universal for everybody, but most of us have had moments that are significant, whether it's weddings or graduations or just things where we find ourselves, where we find ourselves in, in that feeling of fear and trembling. You know, those moments before a wedding ceremony is what resonates with me. Is You, you know, what, they're, they're full of layers, right? All the planning and all the expense and all the family dynamics and all those things. But when you finally get right before those moments, there's something almost sacred about that moment. Something, re- something significant is happening here. Something bigger than myself or ourselves. And I've found myself in feeling that fear and trembling of the awesome and the sacred. So I think Paul's encouraging the Philippians to work out, to exercise their faith, and to do so in that sense that there's something bigger than just them going on, that God wants to work in and through them. And that's the last piece of this section, is that our spiritual development is cooperative. Paul ends that saying, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I actually think that's the more important part. The more important part is that God wants to work in you. And if God has worked in you, then you should go exercise your salvation. But the first part is that God wants to do that in you. We sang these words this morning. We don't, salvation doesn't come from our, ourselves. It doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from what I have done. Salvation is a gift from God. God wants to do that in us and through us. Our spiritual development is cooperative. We allow ourselves to be open to it. We have an opportunity, maybe even an obligation to respond to it, but God works first. So then the second section is, what does this working out of salvation look like? The sentences Paul writes say, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, I think this argument builds towards a conclusion, so I want to look at it backwards. I think Paul's ultimate objective here, where he wants to draw the attention of the Philippians, is that they will shine like a light in a dark world. And they will be able to shine like a light in a dark world if the dark world sees them as blameless and pure. And the world will see them as blameless and pure when they start taking care of some of the basics of faith and spiritual discipline. And in their case, that's things like stopping the arguing and grumbling and infighting. 
So we start with that. No grumbling or arguing. Why does Paul start with something so simple and direct and practical? First off, I I think we have to keep in mind that Paul is writing to a community. Paul is writing this to a communal audience. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to read all of these yous through here and always think that Paul is writing like to me, like work out my salvation or work out your salvation. But this is all the plural you, right? Those of us with Appalachian roots, it's y'all. Work out y'all's salvation, right? Together, we have this communal opportunity to figure out what it means to exercise our faith actively. What does it mean to exercise our salvation? What does it mean to put that into practice? And what does it mean for us, not just me, but for us to be a light in a dark world? And keep in mind that preface, right? He says, therefore, he just wrote the sentence that says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. So in this case, grumbling and arguing, they reflect disunity. They distract this, they distract us, they distract a corporate audience from their common relationships, their common cause, and their common purpose. I have no doubt that Paul was writing to specific circumstances here. There was something going on in the church of Philippi that was causing them to argue and to grumble. And I think that that is an important instruction for us. I think it makes me wonder if, you know, sometimes people ask, like, what's your favorite verse, or what do you think God's trying to teach you? And if I just said, do everything without grumbling or arguing, that might not be a bad place to start and stop in my life, and maybe many of our lives. But I think what it really represents is, like, spiritual basics. I've got a manager at work, he likes to use the phrase blocking and tackling, right? We just got to take care of those basic things at work. The stuff that, you know, you can have all your fancy plans, but it's the basic day-to-day disciplines of, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do that really leads you to success. And so while, yes, we can focus on the comments about no grumbling or no arguing, I think we also just think about what are those basics in our community or in our lives that serve to distract us or to create disunity amongst us. Then Paul says that if you start to take care of those things, the world will see you as blameless and pure. Again, don't focus on the individual there. It's not about me being blameless and pure. It's not about you being blameless and pure. It's about the world seeing us as a church, as a local, little local community, a congregation, or seeing the church in Butler County or in the United States or around the world, seeing the church as blameless and pure. One source I read suggested reading that I, the word of purity less like perfection and more like being wholehearted, being unmixed, being totally focused. It kind of alludes to Paul's writing. Paul likes to write about athletic training. In fact, we'll see some of that later in the, in the letter to the Philippians. It's this idea of keeping your eye on the prize. If you take care of those spiritual basics, allow the world to see you as focused and wholehearted, unmixed, then you can shine like a light in a darkened world. He refers to it as a warped and crooked generation. Now this might represent some resignation on my part, but it's actually reassuring to me that generations and generations of people pursuing righteousness have looked out and seen and called the world around them warped and crooked. 
It is so tempting for me, I think, for us to look around and think that somehow our world is worse. Somehow our world is different. Somehow people are fundamentally different today than when Paul wrote to the Philippians or any other old Christian author wrote to their audience. It's actually reassuring to me that Paul and the Philippians looked at the world that surrounded them and saw it as warped and crooked. Paul's actually quoting a passage there from Deuteronomy, which harkens back even another thousand years or so. For millennia, people have looked around and seen the world as warped and crooked. And that is reassuring to me because if Paul was writing to the Philippians who felt that way, and if we feel that way about our world, then I think Paul's words apply just as equally to us today. So finally, the third section of this, of this passage, I think, was... Uh, You know, work out your salvation, examples of what that looks like, ultimately that we could be a light in a dark world. And then finally, Paul calls us and points us to rejoice together. These last sentences. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad And I rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Sorry, I have some, I have this cough that will not go away. So as I read these final verses from this little section of of the letter. Remember, Paul is imprisoned. Not only is Paul imprisoned, but Paul really fears that his life might be at the end. And like I alluded to, Paul casts that concern in a spiritual tone. Remember earlier in Philippians, we talked through this. Paul says to live is Christ, but to to die is gain. What he meant by that was that if he gets to live, he gets to serve out Jesus' will. But if he dies, he gets to be in the presence of Jesus. And so Paul is encouraging the Philippians in the same way to live faithfully. So that Paul's efforts aren't in vain. Paul sees this vision of the church they are and the church they become. They can become. And he can imagine when the Philippians get to to rejoice and celebrate in the impact that they've had. And that Paul gets to celebrate and rejoice in the impact that he's had in, in Philippi and all the other network of churches that he has launched. Paul looks forward to this long-term horizon, the day of Christ, and he says, imagine how we will all rejoice together and how God worked together in and through us. We can celebrate that impact. Despite this broken world, he just described, right, this crooked, dark world. Despite that, Paul's perspective is bathed in joy and rejoicing. And so with that structure in place, right, work out your exercise, your salvation, work out your salvation. Here's some examples of what that looks like. Take care of basics so the world can see you as wholly focused, and then you can have impact on that darkened world, and that we bathe everything rejoicing in all that we have today. We have so much to, be, to, to rejoice in today, but so much more so even looking in the future. What do we do with this? What do we learn from that this morning? I want to walk us through four areas where I think you can apply this or we as a community can apply this today. 
It's always a tough moment for me because I don't know exactly where you are today, where you are in your faith journey, spiritual journey. I don't know, but I hope, I hope ultimately that you can pick off something from each one of these categories. That maybe there's one that you just feel that little prick like, oh, this, this is where I'm being called or spoken to today. But what can we learn from this? The first thing I think I would challenge us to is to make our faith communal. I think it's a lesson to be learned about Paul writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and yet I always want to read it like it's written to me. There is a calling to make our faith communal. We talk about the church community and those church relationships. What are ways that you can make your faith more communal? These are really basic suggestions, but the first thing you can start with is just talk about it. I don't know if you go out to lunch with you know, your family, your partner, friends, whatnot after church. Talk about it. Hey, what'd you think? Were you challenged? Did you learn anything? Did it seem familiar? Did you agree or disagree? Does this apply to in our life and our community? Find opportunities to start conversations about faithful things. Find a spiritual friend. You know, in church circles, oftentimes we talk about like discipleship or mentorship or all these different kind of formal relationships. What it really is is finding a friend that you can wrestle with some of these faith topics with. This is happening in my life. How do I respond faithfully? Paul says we should model our relationships with the mindset of Christ Jesus. What's that look like here? Find somebody where you can have those conversations with. Another easy way to make your faith communal around here is join a small group. Uh, Our small groups generally follow more of the academic calendar. We'll be talking about that as a fall approaches us. Um, Most of our small groups will, if if they went idle across the summer, will start to liven back up a little bit, maybe think now about, hey, when I start hearing announcements about small groups, that maybe I'll take that step, take a little risk, and uh, join a small group. But I think that we can, we can make our faith communal. There's all kinds of other ways you could do that. Those are just off-the-cuff thoughts. Number two, make your faith active. You know, I really want to focus on the idea that our spiritual development, it's cooperative, Right? We ask, beg, expect, hope that God shows up. But if and when God does show up in our life as a community or in my life as an individual, I've got to do something with that. I would encourage you to find a way to make your faith more active. One easy way, I've already kind of beat this drum, but join our reading plan this summer. We say all the time from up here that we think the best way for you to engage with your spiritual development for you to make progress down that path, for you just to kind of wake up a little bit, is to start reading scripture and see how it applies in your life. That could be daunting. It could be overwhelming. We know that and understand it. We try really hard to give easy on-ramps. We, we put references up here so you can go follow up afterward, you know, throughout the week. This summer, we've got this reading plan. Join us. Don't worry about what's past. If you've gotten a late start, just come in today and, and march forward with us. That's an easy way to take just a few minutes every day and start making your faith more active. Another way to make your faith more active is just look for opportunities where you can live humbly and sacrificially. You know, I just keep focusing on that phrase from last week when when Paul writes that our relationships should have the mindset of Christ Jesus. And he focuses on Jesus' humility. It's a clear call to us to live our lives humbly, to model our relationships on humility. At the end of this section, when Paul is focusing on his fear that he's, his life is being poured out sacrificially, 
To him, that is a huge, that's a, that's, that's a celebration that he could say that about his life and God using him and his life sacrificially to help all these people. And God's a call to us to live our lives humbly and sacrificially. We can live our lives sacrificially by giving of our time, of our money, by giving of our attitudes. Something about sacrificial, humble giving that changes things. You can look at it, an opportunity or an organization, and oftentimes we can offer to serve, but I mean, I have to check myself. There's oftentimes selfish motivations there. It requires civic humility to say, what needs done, not what can I get out of it. We have a practical opportunity for us to do that coming up in a couple weeks. Um, on July 15th, on Sunday, July 15th, here at Journey Church, we're going to shake up this Sunday morning service a little bit. Um, our friends at Reach Out Lakota, they need assistance packaging dry goods. And so we're going to take some time on Sunday morning just as a community and do that. We're going to sing some songs, we're going to teach, but we're going to work so that we can make some small difference in the lives of people in this community right around us. It's a perfect example, small but perfect example of us as individuals and a community trying to live our lives humbly and sacrificially. I hope you'll circle that. Be here on the 15th. Come excited to participate in something and in a small way put our faith in action. So make your faith communal, make your faith active. Number three, embrace rejoicing. Paul's writing from prison and fears for his life. And he talks about rejoicing. I think that's such a lesson for us that we should celebrate the victories of today. The victories of our community, the victories of our individual lives. We should celebrate and rejoice in those victories. We should anticipate those big picture victories of tomorrow. Paul is always pointing to that long-term horizon, right? The day of Christ when all of this starts to pass away. I think we can also anticipate victories even as we ache and ache with one another, right? As we pray, as we struggle through, whatever those situations are, we can rejoice even then. We can rejoice that we have a faithful community in which to, to, to live out those challenges. We can recognize the tremendous potential of having communal faith and humble relationships that inform all of those situations. And even in the midst of struggle, we can rejoice. The final challenge for us, right? Make your, make your faith more communal, make it more active. Just embrace rejoicing. I think there is a call for journey, for journey church, our church here today. It's really the biggest takeaway for me is that Paul's challenge to the Philippians is the same challenge that we have. Our call, our opportunity, our challenge, our purpose is so that we could be a bright light in our world, in Westchester Township, in Liberty Township, in Butler County. We can be that light when the world around us sees us as blameless and pure. They can see us as unmixed and focused and undivided and wholehearted. And we start with that practical. Paul writes about grumbling and arguing, and that's fine. He starts out talking about these people and how obedient they are. He celebrates their obedience, whether when he was there or now that he's gone, and then immediately talks about their arguing. So somehow they're obedient and still struggling with arguing and grumbling. I think the call for us is to figure out what in our community represents those basics, that blocking and tackling. Maybe it's arguing and grumbling. Maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's something else. But what is it 
that represents a lack of humility, an unwillingness to sacrifice that's keeping us from being seen as wholehearted and unmixed and pure, that keeps us from being a light to the broken world. And as you read through that passage and you think about that crooked and warped generation, I know that it's easy for us to fixate on that. I would encourage us as we read Paul's words that we try to step aside from all the headlines that we think of, you know? I think about headlines of concerns about workplace violence and gun violence and immigration policies in Russia and Putin and Trump and Clinton and everything else you see in 24-point font on every news website. There's a place for concern about that. But I think where Paul is trying to point the Philippians, where Paul is trying to point us, is to our neighbors. There are people in our communities that are hurting today. There are people in our communities that are grieving deeply today. There are people in neighborhoods and workplaces around here that are suffering, not from some nearly abstract immigration policy issue, but something that is unjust that is warped and crooked in their life. There is a call to us as individuals and as a church to open our eyes and to open our ears and to find a way for us to live our faith out actively in those spots. There is a call to that. And in Paul, you could sense this vision that he had of the future of the Philippian church, right? As he's talking about his possibly his end of days and the day of Christ, he can see the impact that all of this interrelates together to create. And I just want to encourage you that I have that same sense about us. Like every church has this story of ups and downs and fits and starts and obedience and not obedience and all of that. And I look at us. I look at where we have been and I look at where we are going and I cannot wait to see how God works in and through us. How God finds ways to exercise his will through our community. I hope and pray that we as a church community can find a way to live our lives humbly and sacrificially, that we can find ways to put our faith into active, exercised practice. And I hope that a month from now, a year from now, a generation from now, the communities around us will say, Journey Church, That was a light. That was a light in our dark world. It was a light when I was experiencing a warped and crooked generation. And that is what I want to pray over us here today and this morning. Father God, thank you for Paul and the passion that he pours into his writing, for the imagery that he brings to it. Thank you for the fact that he challenges us time and time again. He challenges that our faith is not just for our own benefit, but it is to go out. It is to call our hearts and our minds to look outward. God, help all of us this week to wrestle with these things, to wrestle with what it means to exercise our faith and our salvation. God, help us to wrestle with what it means to have our relationships based on Christ's mindset. What's it mean to live our lives humbly and sacrificially? God, what's it mean to build a community, a small little church that could be seen as a light in a dark world? God, help us to see that picture and vision 
Help us to see those basic building blocks that get us there. God, call us, convict us, draw us into that. God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for these people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you.